In-depth journalism in the Memphis community, The Daily Memphian is of Memphis, not just in Memphis, and seeks to tell the stories of this city. TheDailyMemphian.com. Truth in place. This is the Daily Memphian Politics Podcast. I'm Bill Drees. Our main event is Memphis City Council candidate Craig Littles on Super District 8 and being one of 13 at City Hall. Also, Linda Moore on the long night and end of the county's budget season. Top of the podcast, two U.S. Supreme Court rulings in a week with Memphis Connections. The highest court in the land has said states have the right to regulate liquor stores for public health and safety. But the court also struck the part of the Tennessee law that requires liquor store owners to live in the state for two years to get a license and 10 years to renew that license. The plaintiffs in the case include the owners of Kimbrough Fine Wine and Spirits in Midtown. The court, in upholding the lower appeals court ruling on this, also had the last word in an ongoing dispute between the State Alcoholic Beverage Commission and the state's liquor lobby. Two opinions from the Tennessee Attorney General's office held the residency rule was unconstitutional. The other plaintiff in this case is Total Wine and Liquor, a national chain of liquor megastores seeking to expand in Tennessee. The Supreme Court also ruling that courts cannot undo the drawing of district lines by lawmakers, even if the intent is admittedly partisan. The 5-4 ruling, the latest in a long arc that includes the Memphis Baker versus Carr ruling in the 1960s. In that ruling, the court established redistricting is a matter courts can intervene on and not a political question for legislators. Shelby County Quarterly Court Chairman Charles Baker filed suit against Tennessee's Secretary of State Joe Carr because the state legislature, which then controlled the drawing of district lines for the predecessor to today's county commission, as of 1960, had not redrawn district lines since 1901. The Supreme Court ruling led to once-a-decade redistricting of the commission and later the city council by each of those bodies, with the Tennessee legislature redrawing once-a-decade its own district lines in the state house and state senate, as well as the state U.S. congressional district lines in Tennessee. U.S. Congressman Steve Cohen introducing legislation late this past week calling for independent redistricting commissions to handle the drawing of boundaries, that coming the day after the Supreme Court decision. Second quarter campaign finance reports due on July 10th, those to be watched closely in the city campaign season we find ourselves in. Which brings us to who is running for what. We record as the withdrawal deadline passes for those who filed a week ago in the Arlington elections. So far, no one has budged. All 11 contenders and the six races staying. Early voting in Arlington is August 30th through September 14th. Election day is September 19th. Kind of a lull in the Memphis election filings. Look for that to change after we are past the 4th of July holiday. Nevertheless, we lead with the return of Mongo. Yes, Robert Prince Mongo Hodges has pulled a petition to run for Memphis mayor. Living in Florida in recent years, Mongo pulled his petition, listing an address in Grahamwood. This brings the mayor's race to 15 possible contenders. So far, Tammy Sawyer and Leo Ogawat, the only mayoral contenders who have filed their petitions with the Shelby County Election Commission. 
Isaac Alfred Thancy, meanwhile, has three petitions out, all of them in the mayor's race, each for a different address within the city. Thancy was the first person to pull a petition in the mayor's race on the May 20th opening day of the filing period. He pulled his second petition for the same race on June 18th and the third on June 25th. Don Bonner has two petitions out for two different council districts using the same address. First, she pulled for District 3 and this past week for District 1. Her address is in District 1, so presumably she won't be following through in District 3, which would leave incumbent Patrice Robinson with three potential challengers. The District 1 race becomes incumbent Sherman Greer and four potential challengers. Jacques Hamilton has filed for City Council District 6, joining Davin Clemens with seven others still circulating their petitions. City Court Judge Teresa Jones has filed for a full eight-year term in Division I of the court. The filing deadline for the Memphis races, noon July 18th, early voting September 13th through the 28th. Election day is October 3rd. We're joined by Craig Littles, a candidate for Memphis City Council Super District 8 position to the first of 12 possible contenders with petitions out to file for that seat, currently held by Cheyenne Johnson, who is running for a full term on the council. Um, Craig, you're a Memphis police sergeant, a law enforcement officer for 28 years, and we haven't seen a lot of police officers running for elected office. So, So first of all, if you're elected, can you be a police officer and a city council member at, at the same time? No, you cannot. But I retire uh, and I become uh, a citizen full time uh, as of July 14th. All right. Yes. So what got you into this council race in, in particular? Well, you know, I'm a guy that's uh, homegrown from Memphis, Tennessee. I grew up in District 8 uh, from South Memphis, Roanoke, Mississippi, to North Memphis, Watkins and Brown, Lexington Circle, and Ridgecrest Apartments. And I really believe that my time as a cop, as a coach, as well as a citizen, uh, uh, as well, I've been a public servant all my life. So I like connecting resources to the community and being able to be that caveat uh, to help our community get the things they need done. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you're known for your involvement in some youth football programs and and other youth programs in, in general. And and I think the one that I remember was it was it was a football team for the really little guys that didn't have lights. And and at one point, everybody had to pull their trucks and cars up and turn on the headlights so these guys could play. Yes, uh, we've experienced that as well, but that's throughout the entire city. Uh, our youth don't have a safe place to play. They don't have a, a place to call home. Uh, the places that they have available now cost too much. They're being costed out or they're not safe uh, structure, structure-wise. So we try to keep that going with positive engagement with officers and positive role models. Mm-hmm. Does the city have have enough youth programs to 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 meet the need? Out no, there? sir. It's never enough youth programs for our community. Nor is it funding uh, teams and organizations. As you know now, I've grown from that little league team you, you saw to PAL programs citywide. We have over two thousand kids involved in our programs after school and summertime, as well as DeSoto and Tipton County. But no, there's never enough uh, for our kids to be involved in juvenile crime prevention programs. Is uh, essential in the lives of our youth. Mm-hmm. We, we live in an era of, of statistics, uh, trying to verify how, how well these programs and, and others work. But in, in the pursuit of that, I often wonder, uh, do statistics tell 
the real story on, on what changes lives? Because I, I, I would guess that this approach to you is one child at, at a time. Definitely one child at a time. I was that kid. I grew up in the neighborhoods. Uh, I know the need. I didn't just start working the programs. Uh, it takes someone that's homegrown to understand what our kids are going through. Uh, I started this because someone did it for me. As a youth, I was misguided. I was in a single-parent household. I grew up in low-income environments. So I started the program to, to give those kids like I was an opportunity and another door to be successful in life. So, no, the statistics doesn't tell the story. Uh, it's needs out there that most of us may not even know. Uh, but we try to bridge that gap in that prisoner school, uh, prisoner school pipeline uh, to give them more alternatives and a chance at life in this community. Mm-hmm. So, so if you're elected to the council, are, are you able to take up a, a- a broader view of this beyond just the programs that that you're involved with? Most definitely. We've already done that. Uh, we've started after-school programs and some programs, but as a city councilman, I truly believe that it gives me an opportunity and a platform to do so much more, whether it's uh, safe neighborhoods or uh, clean streets or connecting resources to our nonprofit organizations, as well as uh, economic investment. So we are truly excited by the opportunities that exist as a city councilman. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, one, one of the reasons I, I, I asked about one one child at a time is that we, we have learned in in recent weeks about the life of Brandon Weber, the young man shot and killed by a U.S. deputy marshal in Frazier in in June. Honor student, uh, student leader, and, and also a suspect in in, in a violent carjacking. Um, is is there room? in these programs for for children who become young men like Brandon Weber. It's definitely room uh, like for, for kids and youth like Brandon Weber. Uh, I really believe uh, giving those children, that's why we try to reach our kids at an early age as far as five with our programs. We believe that if we if they're able to uh, learn and be positive around role models such as officers and positive, uh, positive community activists, then they learn to respect those laws that those officers have to abide by. So as they get older, it's not a negative, a negative feeling or a negative vibe from the police officer to the child or citizen or vice versa. We hope to break that bond, break that negative negative image so they can have a better understanding. Mm-hmm. Tell, tell me about your role at, at the Memphis Police Department. What's, what's your assignment there? What do you do? Right now, uh, I am the executive director and chief visionary officer of, of Memphis Shelby Powell as well as MBI PAL. They are youth programs that serve as juvenile crime prevention programs uh, to keep kids busy and active throughout the most critical times of their lives and day, summertime and after school. We've expanded those programs citywide, each precinct now serving youth, uh, as well as DeSoto and Tipton County. We just opened an after school program at uh, Trevin High School, serving over 200 kids a day. And mm-hmm. we've grown it to almost 2,000 kids citywide and tipped in in DeSoto County. So it, is crime an issue in this election season, bearing in mind that, that, that the homicide count is, is higher than it was a year ago at this time, but below the record homicide count of, of 228 in 2016? It, it is crime an issue? Crime is definitely an issue in our city. Um uh, of course, being a police officer, I feel that I have, and a citizen, and grew and growing up in the city, I have a, a two-sided coin. I see both sides. Uh, I do know that part of our programs is connecting uh, positive role models and officers to the community and hoping they see a better relationship uh, between the both. 
Uh, I definitely know that uh, we need more funding for youth programs because kids need to be active and busy throughout the most critical times of the day. And as they grow to be older youth or, or uh, millennials or, 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 or teens, they start to respect each other as individuals and not see each other as uh, opposition. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, you also have, have talked about attracting new development to the city and a national economy that, that's currently booming for Memphis and, and other cities. What would you say the, the, the recipe is for attracting new development in, in Memphis? Well, you know, uh, my time as a police officer, as well as a veteran, I'm a veteran of the, the, uh, uh, the Army, Dead of Storm in Europe. I've, I've been able to travel the world. I see a lot of things that other cities have to offer that attract citizens, uh, uh, economic uh, growth, as well as businesses to their communities. And I really believe that if we put, if we can, uh, city councilman, I hope that we can put funding toward infrastructure, toward uh, things that, that the cities need, that city that the city needs to help attract those uh, businesses around uh, Memphis. Mm-hmm. What do you think about incentives? Because there's a lot of debate, a lot of questions about about whether those are necessary and and, and whether they work. The council doesn't doesn't vote on a lot of those or or any of those really. Those go through other bodies, but the council still has some pretty good discussions about our economic development strategy overall. So, are incentives necessary? Should they be examined for for the terms? that would give them under. You know, I support any investment in any idea that as a city councilman that brings positive energy, uh, business to this community. I support that holistically. If it's going to help bring uh, that business to, to Memphis, I support that if it's a positive engagement. Most definitely. I do believe we need to put more opportunities in, in, into those investments. I just read in Edge, uh, Edge uh, is offering pilot programs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really believe that's a good idea. Uh, myself, I think that uh, if we can attract those businesses in where we can, I think it's a good idea. Mm-hmm. As city councilman, I do. All right, this is your first time running for elected office. My first time, <laughs> yes, it is, and I'm so excited. <laughs> I am, I am. I, I don't know where it came from, but I do know I want to make a difference. What, what's it? What's this experience been like the la- the last few months? Well, I'm gonna tell you the truth. Uh, it's been exciting. Uh, our team and I meet uh, regularly, once a week, and we have this phrase, well, we're going to make this fun. We're not going to have stress, pressure. We're going to make it fun. We're new. And the more pressure we put on our volunteers, the less fun it is. So I'm a fun guy. I like to make a difference, and I've always done it in a fun way. Our environment is structured, but we're always working toward making this eventful and memorable for us at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So so we've we've kind of chronicled who's getting into the races at, at, at this point. We've still got to- uh, s- several weeks left until yes. the, the, the filing deadline for this. And there, there are a lot of people in, in, in this race, Super District 8 position too. Does that affect how you, how you campaign or do you keep your eye on, on what you want to do with this? Well, it's two-sided. We never underestimate our opponent. Uh, and we respect everyone is in the race. We all are trying to make a difference. So it doesn't affect us. We're running our race the way we know how, and we're respecting others. Uh, we're running a clean race. Uh, again, being new and, and uh, a near fight in the process, uh, we're, again, making it fun. So it doesn't really affect us. Uh, we have uh, much respect for everyone in the race. 
Mm-hmm. And we hope they have the same for us. All right. Uh, also on the October ballot, we, we've just determined recently, is, is a referendum on a half-cent sales tax hike that, if approved, would be used to restore benefits to police officers and firefighters. Those benefits cut five years ago by the city. Are you taking a position on, on that issue? Well, I'm a police officer, and our public service, uh, police officers and the firemen do a lot of work that other people don't want to do. Uh, they strategize, they work hard, and they give of themselves of the city. I really think that we need that. We need a raise. I won't be a, uh, I'll be retired here shortly, but regardless of that, Police officers do the work. Uh, firemen do the work. Our our workers, or whether they are uh, uh, garbage workers or they're uh, doing uh, the MSGNW work, uh, posting lines, that work is needed. And without that infrastructure, without that work, where would we be? Mm-hmm. So I oh. definitely support uh, anything that we can give our uh, citizens that's doing the work. All right. Well, uh, tell me about how, how you became a Memphis police officer. What what was the decision there? Well, I, I, somewhere down the line after I left Desert Storm, I always wanted to continue serving some kind of way. Uh, I looked at several different opportunities. But when I came out, the police department just struck me as an opportunity to meet new people, learn new things and make a difference all the time. And that has really encouraged me and gave me a platform to continue making making a difference. Working inside of a building all day long doesn't give me an opportunity to meet a lot of people. Being a police officer, we're able to make a difference in somebody's lives every day. And it's meeting somebody different every day. And we're not just policing people. Uh, I, I hope that people and the citizens of Memphis do not, do not look at the officers as policing every day. We have different avenues of working with our community. And one one very important opportunity is to meet meet these citizens where they work. We are servant leaders as well. So we meet people on their platform where they are, and we try to continue making a difference that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I would imagine that also spills over into, into uh, the nuts and bolts of campaigning. Going out and, and walking up to someone that you don't know and, and shaking their hands and getting to know them, that's, that's not a new experience for no, you. No, it's not a new experience for us. Officers, we meet new people every day. Every call is different. You never know what to expect on a call, but at least we know it's not the same call every day. So we're, we're trained to understand that, and we love that aspect of policing. We're, again, we're mentors. We're coaches. We are, we are public servants. Uh, we're not just policing individuals. We're meeting new people every day. We're trying to make a difference in their lives. Okay. Um, you, you, you also talk in there about something that, that in your campaign platform is what I'm referring to. I, I'm going to refer to it at, at the way that the mayor does, brilliant at the basics. You call it clean streets. Um, it, it, is that kind of the same thing or, or are there some differences in how you would approach that from from the way that, that the mayor has outlined? No, uh, Clean Streets is similar to that. Uh, we know that problems in our communities are potholes. We know that abandoned, abandoned buildings. We know that uh, trash on the side of the curb being there too long. All those things are issues for the people that I talk to. We go to different group settings. Uh, we have what we call chat and chew events, also community conversations, as well as coffee conversations and doing those conversations in different areas of our eight two we talk about the needs of the community and those are things that are, that sticks out in our conversations with our platform people mm-hmm. um Cheyenne Johnson who now has the seat was appointed to it th- this past January did were you going to go for the appointment or or did you just decide this is coming open in in uh, 2019 anyway 
Well, uh, it's open 2019. We saw an opportunity to expand the thought process in our platform and continue serving citizens citywide. We know that A2, Memphis City Council A2 is 500,000 residents. It goes from North Memphis to downtown, uh, Whitehaven, South Memphis, Orange Mound, Medical District, Cooper Young. And we felt that we can actually make a difference in all those environments. Those are nat- quite naturally where I grew up. Those are where I policed at. Those are where people, that's where people I know. And that's what we continue you making our difference. So we thought it was a natural fit for us. Right. And and the super districts basically make up, uh, divide the city in half. And, yes. you, and to, to explain to people, because like we talked about before we began recording, this is this is kind of a world of its own. Yes. And so a lot of people may not be aware that, that you actually vote for four council members, yes. the three positions in the super district and your single member district council yes. member. So the super districts take in a lot of territory. They they take in about half of the of the city territory. It does, out it does, there. it does. And it's a broad range. And and that's what I love about the super district because it's so many different dynamics of individuals, a different uh backgrounds in Super District A2. So we're able to touch and reach so many people. Again, we're running as servant leaders. So we're coming to our community leaders. We're coming to our community groups and learning what their needs are. If we're going to be the voice of our community as city councilmen, we have to go to them and understand their needs and be that voice. Mm-hmm. Um, have you have you watched the council work? Have you had a chance to sit in on, on any of the committee sessions or the council sessions? We have. Uh, 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 fortunately, we've been uh, as a nonprofit organization, PAL, youth programs, things that I do. We've been on several uh, city council meetings, and we've been been blessed to be able to receive funding to continue to help our services. So we absolutely love uh, being there and understanding how they work. So, so, so you've been through the grant process, which yes. which can be kind of intense at times. Yes, the, definitely. The council members ask a lot of questions about where is this money going and what are you going to do with it. Exactly, and we love that because uh, that's another part of why we want to run. We want to connect those resources to those groups that need it the most. Uh, our, LGBTQ, our LGBTQ community, Hispanic community, nonprofits, our uh, youth programs, they need that funding to consent, con, con, uh, continue servicing uh, the things that they need to do for this community. So we're able to help them along the way. So many nonprofits and so many organizations don't understand the process. So we want to be able to help them through the process because funding is available. You have to be prepared to receive it. Mm-hmm. So, so much of our politics the I, I think the rap that our our politics gets in Memphis is that it's it's black and white as you just talked about it's much more complex and much more diverse than that exactly you know I, I, another reason I feel that I'm the right man at the right time for this job is because my time as a as a veteran military guy at my time as a citizen as a cop I meet so many different people not just black or brown we meet so many different dynamics of individual and I can relate to so many different groups. So I don't look at I don't look at this city as black and brown. I look at it as a melting pot of wonderful in- individuals that can make a difference in our community. And let's utilize that space to make make this a holistic opportunity for everyone. Mm-hmm. There's a saying on the city council. It's that seven votes can 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 move city hall. What do you what do you think going into this about your abilities to take a position and then get six other votes behind it? Well, I think that me being, uh, again, a, a gentleman from all dynamics, I, 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 I really, I'm not into uh, trying to be a middle ground guy. 
I stand where I stand. I, I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do. And whatever I say I'm going to do for the citizens, these citizens of Memphis, I'm going to do it. All right. We've been talking with Craig Littles, who is a candidate on the October 3rd Memphis ballot for City Council Super District 8, Position 2. It was budget finale week for the Shelby County Commission. On Monday, after nearly nine hours, the commission approved Shelby County's $1.3 billion budget. Then, on Thursday, the board approved the Shelby County Schools' $1.4 billion budget. The county's fiscal year 2020 budget fits within the confines of the current property tax rate of $4.05 per $100 of assessed value. But the Balancing Act will require the county to use more than $4 million from its savings accounts. The budget allocates $2.5 million for MATA infrastructure, but only if MATA gives two voting seats on its board to county commissioners. The Election Commission will get $2.6 million toward new voting machines. Public safety workers will get a 2.5% pay raise, while the rest of the county's employees will receive a 1.5% raise. They all go into effect on January 1st, 2020, and not on July 1, the beginning of the fiscal year. And although Shelby County Schools did not get the $7.5 million budget increase it asked for, the commission did find $2.2 million in a one-time allocation for phonetics and coding and $2.5 million for pre-K education. With the county's budget settled, the county commission approved Shelby County Schools' $1.4 billion budget, which is $100 million more than the county's general fund expenditures. There was no opposition to the SCS budget, but commissioners did rise to their own defense after school board members and education supporters clamored for the full $7.5 million increase and accused them of shortchanging the county's neediest children. They were reminded by committee chairman Eddie Jones that recurring education funding has gone up by $66 million over the last five years. And they were told by Commissioner Willie Brooks that 60% of property tax dollars go to fund education. Many of the SES supporters at Thursday's meeting wore yellow T-shirts identifying them as parents or educators. According to Commissioner Tammy Sawyer, those folks received emails from SES leadership to continue the plea for more money. Their presence didn't bother Sawyer, but she did call out County Schools Superintendent Joris Ray for his absence and for the emails, which she said did not bode well for a great working relationship. Although the county's Budgeting Balancing Act is over, there might still be a $1 million glitch. The University of Memphis was awarded a million dollars toward renovations of its swim facilities. However, because more than 300 U of M employees do not make $15 an hour, several labor unions and advocacy organizations have asked County Mayor Lee Harris to veto the budget. The mayor does not have line item veto authority and can't carve out the university's allocation. To accommodate the folks who are opposed to the university receiving county funds, Harris would have to veto the budget in its entirety. County spokeswoman Lauren Lee said the mayor is seeking feedback from the commissioners for a possible way forward. If Harris vetoes the budget, the commission would need nine votes to override it. For the Daily Memphian Politics Podcast, I'm Linda Moore. This week's Behind the Headlines on WKNO Channel 10 is all about the coming of the World Golf Championship FedEx St. Jude Invitational. Subscribe to The Daily Memphian at dailymemphian.com. You can subscribe to this podcast at Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. You can find us on Twitter at Daily Memphian at DM. 
I'm Bill Drees. The Daily Memphian Politics Podcast is produced by Natalie Van Gundy and comes to you on the OAM Network. In-depth journalism in the Memphis community, The Daily Memphian is of Memphis, not just in Memphis, and seeks to tell the stories of this city. TheDailyMemphian.com. Truth in place.